The Characters of Christmas podcast with Dan Darling is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational faith-affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. Welcome to another uh, episode of the Characters of Christmas podcast series. I hope you're enjoying this uh, as we anticipate what the Lord might do uh, for us in this season as we sit and meditate on the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world to save sinners this Christmas. I don't know about you, but uh, I end up watching a lot of Christmas uh, movies that during this time. I, I just have a nostalgic thing for some of my favorites, like It's a Wonderful Life or uh, White Christmas, um, Elf or uh, Home Alone. Um, and then my wife makes me watch a fair amount of Hallmark Christmas movies, uh, cheesy as they may be. We actually enjoy watching them together. Uh, I will admit that. But one of the themes that seems consistent through through the movies is that people are looking for some kind of miracle. They're lo- they're they're hoping that some obstacle will be overcome or some some big thing will be changed. Um, they're looking for a miracle, and it's interesting. The very first story and the very first characters in the story of Christmas were themselves looking for a miracle. The very first people that are featured in the Christmas story are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, who are Zechariah and Elizabeth? Well, they're otherwise unknown people, uh, a godly, the Bible says in Luke, a righteous couple. Uh... Most scholars think they kind of came from the hill country. Zechariah was a priest, uh, and he had priestly duties. So once a year, they would come to the temple and fulfill those kind of priestly duties. But that first Christmas, something special was happening to Zechariah. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey listeners, if you're a parent, then we've got a show for you. We know that parenting is not for the faint at heart. It can be hard to connect with your child throughout the many stages of their life. That's why Rabrina Reddle, host of Mama Take Heart, is back this fall. Wife, mom, writer, podcast host, coffee lover, and military veteran, Rabrina has a passion to help you be an influential voice in your daughter's life. In this show, she gives listeners the tools they need to love and lead well in their child's formative years. Whether you're looking for ways to intentionally connect or to have hard conversations, you can find the Mama Take Heart podcast on lifeaudio.com or in your favorite podcast app. 
And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. So this is how the priesthood worked. In those days, there were 24 divisions or families of priests, each with 300 priests. And every division would have two weeks out of the year to serve at the temple, outside of the major festivals, of course, <clears throat> where every priest would, would come. They would essentially cast lots to see who would be chosen to go into the Holy of Holies, to the inner part of the temple, and light the incense on the altar. This was a spectacular honor that very few priests ever got an opportunity to do. But it happened, obviously, in the providence of God and his planning and timing from before time began, that Zechariah drew the lot, the short lot, and he it was his opportunity to go into the inner part of the temple and offer the incense. This would be a, an incredible honor for him. Uh, you can imagine his whole family coming uh, and standing in that outer courtyard. This is something that would be the first line in his biography for the rest of his life, something he would talk about all the time, uh, something that very few priests got to do. Um, it was a special day for him and something he would probably hope for and wait for his whole life. Now, the other thing to know about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they were without children. And uh, in every age, in every generation, infertility is a cruel and awful thing for parents. I mean, for, for a couple to endure. But especially in that first century when uh, children were seen as a sign of God's favor and blessing. And you can imagine just how hard they carried this burden with them their whole lives and the pain. And yet Luke says they were righteous people. They continued to obey and follow the law. They uh, fulfilled, Zechariah fulfilled his duties as a priest. Uh, when the Bible says that they're righteous, it says that they were they were obedient and faithful. Kent Hughes describes uh, what it would be like for Zechariah to go into the temple and uh, this special moment to light the incense on the altar. He writes, Then came the moment to step into the holy place. Before him rose the richly embroidered curtain of the Holy of Holies, resplendent with cherubim, woven in scarlet, blue, purple, and gold. To his left was the table of showbread, the bread that symbolized God's presence. Directly in front of him was the horned golden altar of incense. To his right stood the golden candlestick. Zechariah purified the altar and waited joylessly for the signal to offer the incense, so that, as it were, the sacrifices went up to God, wrapped in the sweet incense of prayer. But it turns out this would not just be a special time because he got to um, offer the incense, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But this was also the moment that after 400 years of silence, 400 years of God's people not hearing from the prophets, not hearing from angels, that God would speak to his people. God would visit his people. And it would be in this inner sanctum that Gabriel, the angel, would appear before Zechariah. Now imagine Zechariah here. How awestruck he must have been when the angel visits him. What do you do when you're visited by an angel? Well, Zechariah's response is identical to the response of Daniel in the book of Daniel. Uh, both of them fell on their faces in fear. Now today, uh, when we think of angels, uh, we're not really that afraid of them. 
uh, they've been kind of domesticated. We think of uh, John Travolta in that movie where he's an angel or a fallen angel, or we think of the series Touched by an Angel um, many years ago, and we kind of think of them as these lovable creatures. We put them on top of our Christmas trees and all these things. Nobody in the first century wanted to be touched by an angel. Uh, it was the presence of God among them. They were struck with fear. Fear because an angel, even in a diminished sense, represents the holiness and white-hot glory of God. In those days, God was not seen as the kind of helpful man upstairs. They had a proper and right awe and fear and respect of God. Of course, it's wise for us to remember that God's character hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Uh, Christ has visited us, and the veil has been torn in the temple, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace. God is our friend through Jesus. And yet God is still as holy and awesome as he was in the first century, as holy and awesome as he's always been. And I think we should have that proper reverence and fear. But listen to Gabriel's words to Zechariah. Fear not. Fear not. And those words are instructive to us today because we don't have to fear in a nervous and scared sense because God has reconciled himself to us in Christ. And yet we can understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, as Solomon wrote, of wisdom. Now, to me, it's ironic that the place God chose to speak was the temple. Uh, This temple was built by an illegitimate king, Herod. Um, It was overtaken, as Jesus would later expose, by a uh, corrupted spiritual leadership. And yet here God is signaling to his people that something new is afoot. A new day is dawning. You know, everything in up to this point, Israel's long history, the sacrifices, the temple, the feasts, the festivals, all of that would culminate in God himself descending to earth in human form. That was all leading to something. The temple and by extension, even the synagogues among the scattered people of God would no longer be the place where God would meet his people. Listen to what Gabriel says to to a stunned Zechariah after he picks his chin up off the floor. He says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Now think about this. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer is he talking about? Well, I think it means two things. I think, first of all, it means, in a macro sense, the prayer that you have prayed, and Elizabeth has prayed, and that every single faithful Jewish person has prayed for God's kingdom to come, for the Messiah to come, for salvation in both a spiritual and a physical sense. He's saying that prayer has been answered. That prayer has been answered. What an amazing thought. You know, we we think today, we know Jesus is coming again. We read it in the scriptures that Jesus has promised to come again to fully consummate his kingdom. He came once at Christmas and he's coming again. And yet for us, it seems so vague and hard to think. We look at the world around us so broken and and dark and difficult and hard, and it's hard for us to imagine that this will actually be true. This was how Jewish people in the first century felt. They knew a Messiah would come. They didn't know all the details, and it was hard for them to kind of understand all the prophecies. Just for It's hard for us to understand the prophecies of the second coming and piece all that together. But they knew it was coming, and yet... In their ordinary circumstances, in their daily lives, it was hard for them to to imagine it. It was hard for them. And yet here the angel said, your prayer is answered. Uh, By the way, our prayer, 
your kingdom come, your will be done, will be answered as well one day. I think he's also talking to Zechariah about their personal prayer. Him and Elizabeth had prayed for years and years and years, achingly with heartache and frustration to have a child. And they were probably past the time of childbearing. And yet he said, your prayer has been answered. Telling Zechariah that they would bear a special child who would be a forerunner of the Messiah, who would be a, an Elijah-like figure, who would come and be the last Old Testament prophet, preparing the way for Jesus. If you think about what Zechariah is thinking right now, this is a miracle. How can they conceive a child? How is this even possible? And he says, your prayer has been answered. This tells me a couple of things. First of all, that God does answer prayer and God does do miracles. Now, those of us who pray for excruciatingly hard things, uh, a child to come home, a prodigal to walk through those doors and rekindle their faith in Christ. Some who pray for a child, a baby, when they can't have one. Some who pray for a healing and a medical diagnosis. Uh, there's no promise in Scripture that God is going to do that work in this life. Uh, we can't read Zechariah and Elizabeth's story and say, well, the angel answered their prayer of infertility. He's going to answer ours. But we can claim the same promises that ultimately our prayer will be answered. That ultimately in the final healing, God will heal us. And that we do have a God, a miracle working God, who can do these things if he wants to. But it also tells us that how wrapped up our personal hurts and struggles are in the overall plan of God. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not thinking cosmically when they were praying for a son. They just wanted a son or a daughter. They just wanted a child. And yet their faithfulness and their prayer for something that is a good prayer to have children. What they didn't understand is that their story is part of God's story of salvation. And so it is with us. Your hurt, your pain is part of God's story. Of course, we see Zechariah uh, is doubting here. He, he, uh, he can't handle it. And uh, it, it's useful, I think, to compare his response to the angel to Mary's response to the angel. Both of them are dumbfounded. Both of them are asking questions. Both of them are wondering how all this is going to happen. But Mary's response is one of innocence and faith. How can these things be? She understands she doesn't know the mystery of God coming in the flesh of the virgin birth. How can these things be? With Zechariah, it's a different level of question. It's a cynical, jaded questioning. Like, I don't believe you. I've prayed so long and I've been faithful. And I don't believe this. Um, this sometimes happens to good people. That your heart is so encrusted over with disappointment and jadedness and cynicism. I, I see a lot of that this year in 2020. A lot from Christians. When we look around at the way other Christians behave, at the state of the world, at our institutions. And, and, and they just do not want to believe that God is work at work today. And imagine Zechariah. God had not spoken to them for 400 years. 
So you and I would probably be similarly jaded. And yet here's Gabriel in the temple. And I love Gabriel's response. Um, You know, his response is essentially, um, hello, of course this is going to happen. I'm here. Do you see me? I'm God's messenger. In other words, I wouldn't be here if this wasn't happening. And it's really true. Gabriel only appeared a few times throughout the whole of Scripture. And Zechariah would have recognized that, that the last time Gabriel appeared was to Daniel. Hello, I'm here. So you can believe. You know, sometimes when God does work a miracle, it's hard for us to accept it, to believe it, to take it. Um, So God uh, made Zechariah unable to speak for the nine months of the pregnancy. We see that as a punishment, obviously, right? Imagine not being able to speak. He's just dumbfounded. He comes out and he's trying to do sign language and tell people what happened. And, you know, my my guess is in that first day in the temple, people probably couldn't quite understand what he was saying and probably had to try to write it down. Um, But then when Elizabeth started showing signs of pregnancy, they they would believe this miracle. Um, So we see this as a punishment that he couldn't speak, but actually it could have been a gift. You know, sometimes God silences us, causes us to be quiet, to shut out the noise, to put everything away, to turn off social media, to just sit and rest in his presence and watch him work. And this Christmas, God may want be wanting to do that with you, to have you sit and soak in the good news of this Advent season that God has come and visited his people. Lastly, I want to just tie this story into the rest of this of the scripture. This is a theme that is echoed throughout scripture, if you think about it, of God birthing something new out of something that is dead, right? And even childbirth, miraculous conceptions are part of the narrative of scripture, right? We go all the way back to Abraham, where God promised Abraham a son. It's improbable. They're old. They're in their 90s, and and he's 100. There's no way this is going to happen. And yet God births, gives him a child. When everyone knows this has to be a miracle, because there's no way this could happen. God birthing life out of what was dead. We look at Hannah in the temple, unable to bear children and in anguish, and God uh, bringing forth something, bringing life out of death. We see that with Elizabeth here. And this is a metaphor for the new birth. And this is what God does in each of us. In Ephesians, it talks about God uh, raising to life or quickening that which was dead. Our souls were dead. And God has brought forth new life. Uh, This is a theme of Scripture, creation and new creation, that God is creating and birthing something new. And I want you to look around today. In 2020, in this horrendous year we've had, and everywhere around you, you see signs of decay and signs of death. But you got to look and see that God is also birthing something new. He's birthing something new in His people. He's birthing something new in His church. And those are just seeds. They're signs of something coming, something wonderful, of God's wonderful, wonderful new creation. This is the real story of Christmas. The heart of Christianity, brokenness 
and new birth. The same God who birthed life into Sarah's dead womb had breathed life into Elizabeth and to Mary. And this baby, this baby Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection breathes new birth into his people. What a great story. So this Christmas, I don't want you to just think about the lights and the gifts and the festivities. That's all wonderful. Those are all signs of some new world to come. But I want you to think about God birthing new life out of what was dead. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Characters of Christmas. The Characters of Christmas podcast is a production of lifeaudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This Christmas season, we hope you'll also check out Dan's book, The Characters of Christmas, The Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. It's available for Moody Publishers on Amazon.com or wherever you buy your books. You can find more from Dan and all his latest books and podcasts by visiting his website, danieldarling.com. If you liked what you just listened to, would you take a second and tell your friends about us? And maybe also leave us a rating on your favorite podcast app. This podcast is produced by Kelly Givens and Stephen Sanders, with editorial oversight provided by me, Stephen McGarvey. To find more great Christian podcasts like this, check out the rest of our shows at lifeaudio.com. If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.